Sarah Tang is a certified sexologist and coach based in Hong Kong. Sex sometimes is sort of confused or conflated with being a performance because people learn about sex from porn. Um, and that hurts all genders. She believes that sex is a skill and everyone can learn how to get better in bed. Porn isn't sex education, right? Porn is entertainment. It's not education. And that's where the problem lies. Is like It's just like when you watch any kind of movie, right? And, you know, I always make the, the, um, the analogy. It's just like learning how to drive by watching The Fast and the Furious. She is most passionate about helping people who had a limited sex education or culturally conservative upbringing gain the foundations to becoming erotically free, adventurous and confident with their sexuality. It's not just all about, okay, you, you do this one thing and then you have the orgasms and that's great sex because it's, it's actually more about the connection that you have um, with the other person because w once your sexual connection with somebody and that energy is really strong you can do almost anything you you can make out for an hour and it is like a transcendent experience she is also host of the better in bed podcast before we begin today's episode, I would really appreciate a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on. This helps to get the message out there to men and therefore encourage and inspire them to level up their life. So without further ado, this is the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan. Thank you for tuning in. So Sarah, what do I need to understand or know about your background or your history to understand how you've got to this point in your life as a, as a sex coach? Yes. Um, okay. Maybe a little bit about me. I am originally from Singapore, but I've lived in Hong Kong for over the past 15 years and essentially why I created my platform Sarah Sense and my podcast Better in Bed was so that I could provide resources for people who wanted to have happier healthier sex lives and that's just part of my overall purpose to make the world a more sex positive place and normalize the way we talk about sex um but a bit more about my own personal journey and how I got into this and how I developed a passion for this work. I personally had a very inadequate sex education. Um, and on top of that, you layer that with a very religious and culturally conservative upbringing. Um, I was a very good Asian girl when I was growing up. I, I always diagnosed myself as having severe good girl syndrome. Um, just means that I, you know, I had straight A's, I went to church, I led Bible study, you know, I was a real people pleaser in 
all forms of the word. And, you know, this resulted in a lot of guilt and shame when I first became sexually active, you know, and I made some terrible choices in sexual partners. I was totally unprepared um, for my early sexual encounters to the point where, you know, they were completely unprotected because I, I just felt so ashamed of even being sexually active. And I really didn't fully embrace my sexuality and enjoy sex until many years later. And this is actually what motivated me to pursue sex coaching because I know firsthand how it's like to struggle with these things and the impact that it has on confidence and self-esteem and relationships. And it gives me actually a lot of empathy for clients who come to me from very similar culturally conservative background. Mm -hmm. Was there a, a turning point there for you within all of that? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, so it was quite a journey for me because I actually first studied human sexuality when I was in university in the States. And this is probably like the first point, I would say, of my sexual awakening from having a very sheltered upbringing um, in Singapore. It was the first time probably I started to develop really my sexual identity away from my upbringing and away from my parents and, and, and all of that. Um, so from there, that's where I, I developed this interest um, for the topic of sex. However, at that point, I had no idea that it was actually going to be a career. It was just something I was really interested in. And then for about a decade after, I kind of spoke about, I wrote a lot about, and I educated people about sex, but in various formats. So even before coming, uh, even before becoming a sex coach, I was uh, an erotic blogger. Um, I was a sex researcher and writer uh, for various media publications. I also ran my own business selling sex toys to women through educational workshops and events. Um, and I kind of like hopped in and out of this um, and had a parallel corporate career as well. So the big turning point for me was actually in 2017 when I got laid off um, from my corporate job. And it was one of those things where, you know, it just maybe forced a, a little bit of like a, a mini midlife crisis. Um, I started to ask myself, you know, what I was really doing with my life and what, what really my role and purpose was um, here, uh, you know, on this earth kind of thing. And so I decided that what I really wanted to do was help people. Um, and so I started to study um, to be a coach. Um, and at that point of time, I was already running um, the Better in Bed podcast. And I remember um, and this was actually even before I got certified fully as, as a coach. But I remember like it just really 
lighted me up. You know, whenever I would hear from people who listened to the podcast and um, and it really helped them. And so I thought that this, you know, it just really helped me to identify, you know, what my path was. And, and then I just pursued sex coaching and now I'm doing it full time. So here's where I'm at. Within all those years of coaching, have you found a, a common trend of struggle with your clients that continues to come up? Um, yes. Well, I work with people from all over the world. Um, and I would say that shame is universal, sexual shame in some form or other. I mean, every client is obviously different. Um, Generally, with women, I work with issues around pleasure. Um, and with men, I work with issues around performance. But I feel like no matter where you come from and no matter what your background is, you know, there's so much internalized messaging and myths about sex from our culture that are very, very deeply ingrained. And so one of the things that I feel I do a lot of as a coach is to help them challenge some of these misconceptions, provide good education, because also terrible educa uh, sex education or inadequate sex education also across the board is something a lot of people have as well. Um, and I help them to rewrite their sexual narrative in a way. Mm. Yes. So what are some of those misconceptions? Well, the biggest misconception I would say is that sex is a performance. Um, and I feel a lot of it comes from um, media. It comes from porn specifically. And, you know, over the past decade or two, you know, there's been an increasing prevalence of porn um, and it's so easily accessible now that one of the things that um, one of the things that porn does is that it actually fills in the vacuum um, of sex education because a lot of us don't have enough sex education. And because of that, um, sex sometimes is sort of confused or conflated with being a performance because people learn about sex from porn. Um, and that hurts all genders um, equally, I feel. You know, it hurts um, men in many ways because a lot of the times when they think sex is a performance, it's, it's about how long they last. It's about, you know, the sort of, how erect they are, and they feel like a, a failure if those things don't happen and can be crushing. And for women, um, you know, it it affects them differently, but they feel a lot of the performances are, um, you know, they feel like they have to have these very loud, very effortless orgasms that they see on porn. You know, there's a lot of um, body shame as well for both men and women because they compare themselves with, you know, women Women think that, you know, they have to be all hairless down there. Um, you know, 
same thing for men. You know, men men compare themselves in terms of porn. There's a lot of penis size shaming and all of that. So so many different levels. And I I feel like the biggest misconception is that um, sex is a performance mm. when the reality is that it's not a performance. It's a it's about pleasure. So, are you against porn? I am not against porn, um, but I have a very nuanced view, I would say, uh, about porn. I, I don't think porn is inherently bad, per se. Um, I think many people consume porn regularly, and it's a healthy part of their solo sex life. It can also be a healthy part of their partnered sex life. Um, you know, and I want to normalize that, actually, because I feel like we have already too much shame around um, masturbation. We have too much shame around, you know, porn watching. Um, that said, I feel like there's sort of pros and cons, um, and that's where the nuance comes in. And so whenever I have a conversation about people with porn, I have to say you have to recognize I I I recognize the benefits of porn in terms of, you know, sometimes it helps people explore their fantasies because sometimes you don't even know what you like uh, unless you see it in front of you. You know, it helps with arousal. Um, you know, sometimes it helps with novelty. You can see, you know, new techniques, new toys. You know, you can be encouraged to try things that are maybe a little bit, you know, outside your uh, realm of comfort, maybe. Um, but then I would say that there are dangers in of porn as well. And particularly, um, it comes from porn becoming the de facto sex education for a lot of people. And ultimately, porn isn't sex education, right? Porn is entertainment. It's not education. And that's where the problem lies is like, it's just like when you watch any kind of movie, right? And, you know, I always make the the, um, the analogy. It's just like learning how to drive by watching The Fast and the Furious. Um, and that's kind of like what porn is, right? If people learn how to have sex from watching porn, then often they will have certain unrealistic expectations around sex, you know, and some of them I already mentioned, you know, penises are always hard. Penetrative sex is the norm. You know, women have effortless uh, orgasms from penetrative sex. Sex always lasts for, you know, X minutes, uh, you know, foreplay lasts for, you know, three minutes or two minutes, sometimes not at all. You know, and therefore, uh, you have a certain view of sex, which is a little bit unrealistic and the performative. Mm-hmm. It's all in the foreplay, lads. So the <laughs> so <laughs> yes. Do you, do you feel porn though replaces intimacy for an individual? Hmm. I think it depends on how you use porn. So what's a, what's a health what's a healthy use of porn then in terms of okay if somebody was in 
a relationship mm-hmm. and maybe things have become somewhat stale in the relationship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now i know this merges with a sense of shame because you will have your your own fantasies but you have a level of shame of level of shame to share those fantasies with your partner and the fear that they will judge you and shame you and potentially uh-huh. leave you for having those fantasies so uh-huh. you begin to replace intimacy with your partner with intimacy uh-huh. through porn ultimately the fantasy begins to outweigh or becomes a lot more appealing than the reality uh-huh. 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 so how do you not yeah, yeah, I I understand um, what you're saying, and I would say that does happen. And how to navigate it? To be honest, is it's really comes down to being mindful and intentional about your porn use. It's just like any kind of media, even like social media, for example. For example, social media. Okay, I mean, if you put it aside, the you know the natural taboo around porn and stigma around porn. Social media is often the same. You know, they, they can be pretty, um, it can be pretty addictive. You can find yourself losing control and getting really sucked into the vortex of social media and it can cause you a lot of unrealistic expectations about people's lives and so on. And so what happens when you find yourself, you know, losing that sort of balance and losing that control? Um, the first thing is actually just to be very mindful and very aware of how much time you're spending on it, you know, what role it plays in your life. Is it, as you say, you know, replacing intimacy? And I think that requires a very honest sense of self-reflection first. Healthy porn use is something that is intentional it's in balance you know it has the potential i feel to enhance your fantasy life you know enhance your arousal when it when it starts to tip into becoming sort of unhealthy or compulsive porn use is when you start to become emotionally dependent on it is when you start to lack control over your porn habits and it starts to interfere with the rest of your life. So, you know, you find that you can't focus on work, you know, you may be avoiding personal relationships in some way. It leads to some kind of emotional distress. Um, And so I would say that, you know, when you start seeing things move out of balance just like you know if you are spending too much time on social media then you need to take a step back and start to regulate yourself before things get too far down the track you know and i always say prioritize people over porn that's one thing that for me is is a rule and a principle Um, and you know in the situation where you find yourself replacing intimacy and replacing time with your partner um, and preferring to spend time with, you know, virtual, uh, you know, porn stars instead of developing your dating life or developing your relationship life. That's when 
you know, you really need to sort of take a break and, you know, reprioritize. So when you do have a couple reaching out to you or you begin mm. working with a couple and their sex life has become so mundane that it's almost become non-existent, mm-hmm. what's the process there in terms of bringing that back to life? What's that look like? Mm-hmm. Well, th- I mean, the first process, to be honest, is for me to do a lot of investigation work um, because people fall into... Um, these sort of sexless relationships for many reasons, actually. Sometimes it's situational. Sometimes, you you know, people are just busy um, and stressed and they have so many other things on that they've just deprioritized it. Um, you know, this commonly happens with young parents, for example, um, people with very stressful jobs, or, you know, traveling all the time. So, you know, sometimes it's that, right? Sometimes uh, the root cause is is a little bit different. Sometimes there's all of this emotional gunk that builds up in a relationship, you know? The sex is stale because actually your emotional connection, you, you just sort of drifted apart from each other and you're not really communicating well. Um, and um, sometimes you need to actually rebuild the the connection within the relationship, and then the sex will just naturally actually get better. So, depending on the different root causes, there can be different solutions and um, different ways of tackling that. So, first is always for me to really just be a little bit of an investigator into why this has happened. And sometimes, you know, it can take a while to trace back a couple's story and where they are on the journey. The the second thing I would say is really to have both partners prioritize sex. And often this requires a team effort. And it can't be just like one partner saying, okay, I really want to work on our sex life. And then the other partner is just kind of lackadaisical about it and or they're just kind of going along with it, but they don't really put much of an effort. So it has to be a joint commitment. Um, and often that involves a, a lot of communication as well. It, it has to, um, you know, I'm often the the uh, safe space actually for people to talk about sex and you know you know what you you'll actually be surprised but you know a lot of these couples that have fallen into this very stale situation they often don't talk about the situation they they often feel it um but they find it incredibly difficult and incredibly challenging to actually just bring up the topic in conversation. So often, I'm the person that actually is the catalyst to help them to start talking about it um, in a sort of productive and meaningful way. And then kind of based on that, you know, once you have that as a foundation, we can start to um, explore new things for for them. You know, maybe it's a changing of habits. Um, Maybe it's introducing a little bit more novelty, a little bit more adventure 
you know, sometimes it's new toys, new new locations, you know, inspiring them um, to just get out of their comfort zone a little bit, get out of their routine a little bit. Um, and that can sometimes take out um, the staleness as well. But I have to say each couple is different. So I would have to really, you know, look at what the root cause is, um, you know, before suggesting something. Are some couples not sexually compatible? And the solution is sometimes that they need to find someone new who they are compatible with? Yeah, I would say that sometimes, unfortunately, um, couples aren't sexually compatible. However, I would say that most couples, compatibility is a commitment, you know. I think that there are many ways for couples to work out a solution that can meet each other halfway. Um, unless the incompatibility is so broad that, for example, you know, one partner is really kinky and that's the only way, for example, for them to actually have pleasure and the other one is really on the other side of the spectrum and they're super vanilla and nobody wants to move um, at all, you know, in the middle to accommodate the other, then would I say that they're completely incompatible. However, I, I really think that a lot of couples can actually work on, com on their compatibility. Um, and, you know, with great sex, it's all about kind of give and take sometimes, right? I mean, sometimes it's like, okay, you know, one session, okay, we, we do something that's, you know, you enjoy a little bit more, maybe another session, okay, we do something that I enjoy a little bit more, but maybe sometimes the pleasure is also in the giving, right? It's, it's in the generosity, the give and take sometimes. So I think there's, there's lots of different solutions and, you know, being completely incompatible is something that I think does happen, but it's something that we would only come to as an outcome if we've tried everything else and, you know, nothing really works, like nothing sticks. Yeah. And compatibility is used as an excuse, as an excuse more so than... Mm -hmm more so than ever, yeah. So, and when these couples come to see you and, and work with you, how does that play out in terms of the the meetings? Do you, obviously, you listen to their difficulties and their struggles. Do you offer them ideas? Like you mentioned there a minute ago mm -hmm. about maybe doing something that she'd enjoy, doing something that he'd mm -hmm. enjoy. So are you mm -hmm. offering these suggestions and then they go off and have the ha have a bit of fun with it? Yeah, yeah, that that's how I work. So usually, I mean, I take I do a you know pretty thorough assessment, um, and then we start. You know, I prefer to work with couples over several sessions because often that gives me the opportunity to follow up with them, um, and so I will give them certain tools, certain exercises, um, and then they go off, they do it, and then they come back. And we, you know, we troubleshoot. We, you, you report back. Um, you know, sometimes some things I suggest uh, might work, might not work. Um, and then we come up with something new together. And often it's a very 
collaborative process um, because everybody's different, right? Everyone's so unique sexually um, as well. So often we we do it together and and we sort of co-create, you know, what feels fulfilling for them together. Okay. Yeah. So they're writing out the report as they're <laughs> as they're having sex. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. And then yeah. Yeah. The other, just going back to what you mentioned earlier there about a lot of men being caught up in performance and performance-based anxiety when it comes to sex in the bedroom, mm-hmm. such as erectile dysfunction, such as uh, ejaculating too soon, too early. Mm-hmm. Where do you begin with that process for someone who may be struggling with one of those areas, but it's all perhaps caught up in the in the same in the same area in the same around the same topic of performance anxiety. So, mm-hmm. how do you how do you work around that? Yeah, that's so interesting. You know, because a lot of times, you know, many men come and and see me, and and the first thing they always approach me is like they're just like give me the techniques, just give me the techniques to last longer, and. You know, I always have to sort of wind it back a little bit and I always have to question them and challenge them and say, okay, wait a minute. Um, tell me how, lo- you know, where do you get this idea um, about lasting longer? How long do you want to last, you know? And often, you know, when you dig deeper, they'll tell you that a lot of their beliefs around, you know, a certain, as I said, that sex should last a X number of minutes, whatever, you know, half an hour, tw- 20, 30 minutes or, or whatever it is, they're often informed by porn, right? And so a lot of the times I have to kind of wind that back a little bit and I have to make, I kind of have to challenge them um, to say, why is that the norm, right? Um, because often, yes, I can, sure, I can, I can teach you the techniques, um, you know, and that's fine. But really what's the most important thing is to actually ask your partner in front of you um, what, how long they want sex to last for, you know? And maybe actually they're perfectly fine with whatever, you know, five, five minutes. <laughs> whatever they, they, you know, whatever it is, it's always important to like check in with the partner in front of you. So all of these are sort of like foundational steps um to to talk about before actually learning um the techniques and often like there is a stage before that where i really help clients to assess their beliefs around sex um and you know we sometimes work to the point where actually you write down all of your 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 beliefs around sex and sexuality you know what is great sex to you? What, what does that mean? You know, and sometimes these men, they, they've never actually really thought about that. They, they've thought, oh, great sex means uh, lasts for an hour. Uh, you know, the woman has 20 orgasms. You know? and, and, and when you actually write it down, you'll realize sometimes how unrealistic it actually is. And so we, we kind of work through that to, together. You know, and we actually, um, I do quite a little bit of education with them uh, around sex. Um, and then, 
you know, sometimes I just help them to sort of maybe challenge their beliefs um, a little bit. And if these beliefs just aren't serving them anymore, then, you know, I, I work to help them to sort of release them, uh, you know, to sort of move beyond them with, you know, education. Um, and then from there on, once they have a little bit more of an informed view, then we can actually, you know, work on the sort of the, the issue that presented itself, which is, okay, lasting longer or so on. Mm-hmm. Bring it back to your own personal sexual experiences. How can you compare your sexual disasters from the past to a genuinely brilliant sexual experience in more recent times? What's the What's been the, the differences in those two experiences yeah. for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, hmm, good question. But but let me say this. I would say that I explored my own sexuality and I kind of learned what good sex means to me by having a lot of bad sex. (laughs) Um, And I think that one of the things that um, really sort of made a difference for me was this, was that, was how I measured, um, was the, the indicator of what I used to measure great sex. And I guess it's easy in some ways to think about, oh, great sex as, um, you know, I, I'm straight, so like, oh, you know, that the the guy, you know, uh, that we had, you know, penetration um, and I had loads of orgasms from penetration and so on and so forth. But to be honest, like from my own personal experiences, um, after a while, I realized that that just wasn't really enough um, to qualify and to measure and to be the benchmark of what great sex was, um, you know. I, as I sort of trialed and errored my way through my sexual exploration, I, I realized that sometimes the, the best sexual encounters that I was having were, were actually encounters where there was no penetration um, at all, but it was all maybe about connection um, and it was more about the context of how I was with someone. Um, And that really, for me, was like a a big game changer in the way that I saw sex. You know, I I realized that actually it's not just all about the genitals. Um, It's not just all about, okay, you, you do this one thing, and then you have the orgasms and that's great sex because it's, it's actually more about the connection that you have um, with the other person. Because w- once your sexual connection with somebody and that energy is really strong, you can do almost anything. You, you can make out for an hour and it is like a transcendent experience you know it is just like so memorable and um and so 
so horny in, in many ways. Like, I, I don't know if that's the best word. But, that's a good word. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then you can actually also have whatever penetrative sex, you know, for an hour or whatever. And if it's just not somebody you really that connected with, it just leaves you empty. Um, and to me, that was like the biggest, I would, I, I guess, like light bulb moment, mm -hmm. um, in a way for me. Um, and it all comes in terms of like what I was measuring sex by. Um, mm. That is the other misconception, isn't it? That every sexual experience has to involve penetration. Yes. Yes. That's a huge misconception, actually. Um, and I find that sometimes, um, unfortunately, it means that we don't spend enough time on the non-penetrative activities. And for women, you know, actually a lot of the times, uh, if you look at all of the statistics around sexual orgasm for women, most women actually require direct clitoral stimulation in order to have an orgasm. That's like over 70% of women. So often, women aren't actually getting that much out of penetrative sex per se, um, if that's the only activity that's on the menu. You know, some women actually, in fact, most women get a lot more out of the non-penetrative activities. They, they get a lot out of, you know, oral sex, for example, not just because it provides that clitoral stimulation directly, but also because it's extremely intimate for a woman, right? It's like someone's face and someone's head is like down there for them. So yes, it's a, it's a big misconception. And I feel like it often does women a disservice when we think that sex is always about penetration. Um, mm. It's a lot of it based on self-esteem, isn't it? Because when you put it like that, and with the rise of the hookup culture, mm -hmm. it's almost as if women are simply there to service men. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you're you're telling them to slow things down, and by slowing it down, you build this incredible connection that you won't find mm -hmm. through meaningless pursuits of hooking up with random people on a regular basis. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the, the science behind arousal, um, you'll see that women actually, in order for women to increase their likelihood of having an orgasm during sex, um, sex needs to last longer and that they need to spend more time in that pre-build-up excitement phase in order for them to actually be aroused enough to actually have an orgasm, whether that's penetrative sex or not. Or not. But And men actually, in terms of their arousal cycle, it it's much faster for them to reach an orgasm. So yes, I mean, slowing down in general um, helps women, but slowing down in general, to be honest, it just helps you to enjoy the moment. It helps you savor 
the the moment. Um, I mean, there's also there's also lots of benefits of having a quickie sometimes, and of course, you know, sometimes that's all the time that we can afford, and there's nothing wrong with having a quickie. Um, but I I do think you know if you want to have slow, connected, mindful, present sex, often you know changing the pace, you know, so that you can actually taking the time to feel the sensations and be present in your body and, you know, ask yourself, what am I, you know, use your five senses asking yourself, what am I seeing, uh, feeling, tasting, hearing, you know, being in that moment, often it's, it's slow. So I'm a big proponent of um, slower sex. Also a big proponent just of slowing down in general in the whole dating process. So in terms of, as you say, like casual sex, you know, now it's it's so commonplace, right? Um, hooking up. And again, nothing wrong with hooking up, you know, nothing wrong with casual sex. It, that's totally fine. But sometimes in order for you to have better sex, you know, having a more, con- having more connection with this person who you're having sex with, even if it is a casual sex partner, um, will will help. So, you know, talking about sex, even before engaging with sex, you know, is always helpful, even with a casual sex partner. I think there are ways to make it more meaningful. Yeah. Just slow it down. More touching, kissing, feeling, licking, and less penetrating or less focus on the penetration because men I think only think that sex begins once they penetrate the woman whereas mm-hmm. it can become, begin way before that even from the initial encounter yes but also more time spent talking and asking your partner what do you like you know you know what are you into you know putting aside that ego that says, you know, oh, I know what all these women like. These are my top three go-to techniques, you know, that all, that just drive all women crazy. Put that aside, you know, take some time, ask her, ask, you know, do you like this? You know, um, you know, what would make you feel good? You know, all of that also helps with slowing things down, um, but also taking the time to check in. Yeah, and there's more positions than... You on top, her on top, and you behind her. Yes, 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 yes. You know, I think, you know, one of the most underrated sex positions is actually oral sex position. So, um, you know, anytime you can throw more of that in there, um, the better. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, well, um, I've been incredibly enlightened by this information. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Sarah. And I'm sure the men of this podcast would love to hear more and see more of you. So where can they find you and potentially reach out to work with you? Sure. Um, well, uh, my platform is sarahsense.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at hello sarahsense. Um, I, you know, if you want to find out more about some of the conversations that I have with my guests, then my podcast, Better in Bed, um, is always a great place to um, sort of see 
how I talk about sex and my approach around sex and sexuality. Um, and those are like the three ways that you can contact me. Brilliant. I will add those links to the show notes below. So go check it out, man. And in the meantime, yeah, go out there and have better sex and be better in bed. Thank you, Sarah. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Warrior Podcast. If this episode has added value to your life, please share this episode on your social media platforms so that others too can gain the insight, information and inspiration that they need in order to move forward in their lives. For the time being, stay strong and keep fighting the good fight.